I was at war with society thought and what hip hop thought was hip hop. I was at war with the mentality of the people. I was at war with the propaganda that was kind of propagated on me and my community. We supposed to be dead or in jail at 25. Okay, how about I be on Hello and welcome to What's Underneath, the podcast that will inspire self-acceptance through empowering you to embrace what's unrepeatable in you. I'm Lily Mandelbaum and sitting next to me is my mom, Elisa Goodkind. And we are Style Like You. Each week we bring you interviews with diverse nonconformists about their relationship to style, self-image, and identity. Being radically honest without shame and holding that honesty with compassion is self-acceptance. If you fall in love with our guests as much as we do, you can see them in their full self-expression on our YouTube channel and Instagram using the handle at Style Like You. And if our stories open your eyes or are transformative on your own journey towards acceptance, please consider becoming a member of Style Like You on Patreon so that we can continue creating a world where everyone feels comfortable and safe in their skin. To support our work, head over to patreon.com slash Like You. A huge thanks to Olibio Logique for sponsoring this episode of What's Underneath. With the idea that we need to celebrate, not fix our natural selves, Olie's skincare products aim to get your skin glowing with no filters and no extraneous hype. We love Oli oils for their uncomplicated, wellness-based, clean approach to our daily skincare routine, coupled with a no-silver-bullet promises ethos. Just all-natural skin-supporting nourishment. Deliver the nutrients your skin craves fast and get your own Oli oils via Amazon, plus 20% off with code STYLELIKEU20. That URL is www.amazon.com slash and that link will also be in the show information. I'm actually feeling kind of emotional about this because we're with Riza from the Wu-Tang Clan. I just want to talk about what it means to be here doing this right now because I've known Riza for a long time and he is an incredibly generous, humble, warm, loving man. Um, Very unusual person. Um, Someone that I really feel privileged to know and he has been so kind and generous to style like you. Um, especially because almost 10 years ago at the very beginning when we were, everyone was saying, what are you doing and why are you doing this? And when we were going to people's homes and doing the closets and talking about style and identity, he said yes. And so I feel, you know, emotional today. Now it's been, it's almost a decade later. We've grown a lot. Things have changed a lot. But each person that said yes to us uh, was a building block to what's now a global movement for acceptance and without those bricks in the wall and without those stepping stone of people who were willing to be generous with themselves and to, see, and to not ask too many questions and to just trust, um, you know, we've been able to make a really huge difference in the world. So I, I'm very thankful to Riza for that. So I'm excited to be doing this now. How are you feeling today? I'm feeling great. It's a great day, sunny. Uh, we are in sunny California and I kind of cleared my schedule so you guys could come and we could chop it up. I, I think that this particular time for us to get together, and not you know get together and break bread or whatever, but to get together and record ourselves and and talk to to the world, I guess, through this medium. It took a long time for me to kind of schedule it in this time. I think we had like four or five different mishaps and mishaps and mishaps. You know, I was supposed to have went to New York this week uh, to finish. You know, I'm working on a, a project. 
And they said I could have a couple of more days in California, which my wife loved. <laughs> and they postponed my trip till Sunday. And uh, I said, you know what I'm gonna do for Friday? I'm gonna work from home and I'm gonna invite you guys over to sit down and talk. And, and it's happening, <laughs> it is what it is. And I'm, You found your window. Found my window. Can you start by talking a little bit about what you think your style says about you? Wow, I think my style has uh, evolved, changed, retracted, <laughs> has been like all over the place over the course of the years. I think the consistent part of my style is that it always fit me for the mindset that I'm in. Mm-hmm. You know, I look back at uh, some old pictures and I see myself with those pointy rings and fatigues on. And when I look at that picture, I know that I was in a military mindset. Mm-hmm. I was in a mindset of my music and my art was something that was a weapon and I was prepared to use that weapon in the case of mental, spiritual, and creative war. Why you know, Why were you in a military mindset? Well, at that particular time, you know, when... When we, was that exactly? That's in the 90s. Uh, in the 90s, you know, I was fighting to be heard, fighting for hip-hop to be uh, accepted in a pure form, not just in a pop form. I was fighting for my family to be able to have, you know, economic freedom, you know, freedom is just not that good if you don't get other freedoms with it. Like, you know, so freedom has to have spiritual freedom, economic freedom, uh, educational freedom. So it's more than one form of freedom. Uh, and at that time, I was fighting for economic freedom. I was fighting also against the what we call phony MCs because <laughs> I'm hip hop. So I had a natural, natural antagonistic uh, energy towards others who were rhyming on the mic or touching the turntables or making beats. So I was in a warrior mindset. And when I look at my clothes, I see it. As we started getting into the 2000s, you'll see that, uh, you'll see my style was kind of confused the first couple of years, you know? Why confused then? I think confused because I was confused as well. Why? And my confusion most likely came from uh, I think the re- the reality of of mortality. Um, I think when you're young, you don't really think about mortality, uh, and then when you're successful, and you get what we describe in you know in, our, in capitalism, you know, you become rich, you know, black millionaire, right? You actually feel almost like a god complex, like you feel so chosen and so powerful. And maybe you are, but then something happens that knocks you off that throne. And for me, it was, uh, it was the passing away of my mom's. And that was like, it was nothing I could do about that. Mm-hmm. And most things I had, it was something I could do. Anybody had a problem, oh, hey, you can handle that. Rizzo can handle that. Or to my nieces and nephews, Uncle Rakim can handle that. To my brothers and sisters, yeah, Raw can handle that. But this was something that I couldn't handle. And... um it kind of threw me off course for a while. And when I look back, we had looked at, because me and my wife always look at old pictures. It's like, what was that, baby? I was like, wow. What man. were you wearing? Man, I had on some weird shorts, and I never wear shorts. Weird shorts. Why never shorts? Uh, I was always like, you know, I got those billy goat legs, you know what I mean? So I always was like, didn't show my legs, you know what I mean? Uh, and um, 
but did, but I did. I didn't care. Like like the shorts. I'm talking about like thick sweatshorts with a tank top, a do rag, sneakers, but socks up high. <laughs> like you know what I mean? Like my socks should at least been low, right? Uh, <laughs> a visor. And why why was it so? Can you just talk a little bit about why your? I mean, I know it's sort of obvious, but I just want to hear from you about your mom and why what happened and like why why was it so devastating to you and why was that such a turning point for you when you lose your mother that's something you know almost undescribable the most apparent thing that happened to me was the loss of appreciation validation and approval hmm. Uh, most of my success for years in the part of this, uh, this part of my life in the '90s, you know, my platinum albums, gold albums, all of the, all of those items resided at my mother's house. That was the trophy. She was the person I was trying to make feel proud. Mm-hmm. That's who I wanted to see smile when I did it again. And when she passed away, I didn't have no one to make me feel that that it was worth it. So what was it about her? Like, why? Wow. Um, I mean, so even if this wasn't my mother, right, let's just take a woman. Uh, She gave birth to 11 children. Most of the time of her life, uh, the men was absent. You know, baby gone, baby gone, baby gone. Uh, The economic struggle is is biblical. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, But her perseverance and strength through it all, like, incredible. If I will say one story about my mother, I don't share too many stories about my mom like that, um, but... I just remember one day uh, that we all got sick from bad meat or something, you know? And she was sick, sick. And during her sickness, she was taking care of everybody. Not to get this description inside your listener's head, but she's cleaning up throw up, having to throw up herself. She was so loving and so caring um, and so strong. Like, I mean, yeah. that about says it all, right? It's yeah. and I'm not a, thinking about herself. Yeah, and I'm an asthmatic. So a young asthmatic kid is different. You know, it's, you're more frail, right? I was a bad asthmatic. And, you know, it was many nights where, you know, I would catch a two or three o'clock in the morning asthma attack. And she has to go in her nightgown sometimes because asthma is something that you gotta immediately. And, yeah, and I don't have no primatine mist that costs six bucks, baby. And we don't got six bucks for dinner, so it ain't no primatine mist. Medicaid card, get to that hospital, get this kid a shot of that steroid. I didn't know it was steroids back then. Now I know because I study everything, right? But get this kid a shot of that steroid to open his lungs and. But at the same time, you got to leave the other kids in the house. And that happened dozens of times, you know. So, so, so I'm just saying as a woman, as a person, her strength, mm-hmm. her perseverance, 
uh, her love, you know, it's a lot of love to give with that many kids. Everybody wants Amazing. It. I don't know how. Yeah. So, anyway. Wow. And everyone felt that they were loved. Yeah. To, um, to my knowledge, right? You know, it's always somebody. But um, You did, anyway. I definitely did, you know. Even, you know, during the prime of Wu-Tang, I just, you know, remember going, you know, I'll go to my mom's, you know, on the weekend, go up in her room, just lay on the bed with her and talk. And talk about life and ask her about those days, you know. So I actually was blessed enough and and bold enough, because you, know, you got to be bold sometimes to speak to your parent in the most open way. But I, I just became a father myself, so I just wanted to know, like, like the, the the things of a parent and and how she was able to do certain things and uh she said one thing to me too she said that she thought many days that it was better that she, if she was dead because she didn't know how she was going to make it to the next day and it was just the love for the children that pushed it over to the next day wow yeah, it was, I, I think it was, I, she, I mean, she had to be very depressed in those days when you're looking at a bunch of mouths to feed and you got to actually tell one of them or two of them to go a couple of blocks over to some family friend or uh, some neighbor and wow. just get five dollars. Yeah, so she told me that, you know. I mean, it really explains you a lot and like with all of your success and everything. You're very humble and you're very generous. And it's, you know, I'm sure that she, like, that's, she lives inside of you. Yeah, she was a generous lady. Like, I, you know, her and my grandmother, too. I'll just say one thing about my grandmama and my mother, you know, her moms. They're the kind of people that if they, you know, in the black community, you wait for a check, okay? (laughs) That's why during the uh, late 80s, you know, they would say, you know, the first of the month, and the crackheads would go get their checks and buy crack and all the drug dealers make money because they know when that first and the 15th come, checks would come, government checks come, and welfare checks come. And the people cash their checks and they buy drugs. So that was the big thing in the late 80s for the street entrepreneurs. <laughs> but my mom's the type of lady and my grandmother, when they get their check, they go to the store and they'll buy the big bag of 100 hot dogs and the whole neighborhood gets a hot dog. Mm. They mm. was those kind of people. Wow. Yeah. Mm. That really yeah. makes me want to cry. What was her name? My mother's name is Linda. Mm. Yeah. We're going to circle back to everything, but mm. can you talk about what, um, what assumptions you think people make about you based on how you appear or how, or based on like your public image, like things that may or may not be true? That's a good question. I actually... I wonder. <laughs> I'm actually one of the guys that might be a little naive about what people think of me. Uh, so I don't really know what they think of me, to be honest. And I don't know. Yeah, before I thought maybe some people were scared of me. Um, before meaning like? Like when I had my gold fangs and my military suit and my pointy rings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, maybe, In the early days. Yeah, maybe, maybe it was good reason. And at the same time, like I said, I was in a war state of mind. Um, but I'm, I, can't honestly, I can't honestly say that I know what people think of me. And I can't uh, honestly say that I really care much. Have you always 
felt, felt that way, that you don't care much? I think that if I reflect back on myself, I think that, yeah, I think I've been comfortable with myself for a long time in the sense of like, an example is, so the Jizza is my older cousin, uh, somebody I looked up to, someone that taught me a lot of things. And I had my braids. I was wearing braids, but nobody was wearing At the beginning? Braids. In the beginning. Nobody had braids. I remember that. And everybody had fades and all this. And, you know, I remember coming to see him in Brooklyn from Staten Island. There's a 13-year-old kid with braids. And the only one who wore braids in that particular time was girls. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he mm-hmm. had a girlfriend. And... He just, you know, he just told me, yo, my wife said, you look like something like an ugly girl or something walking down the street, you know, with braids. And I, I didn't cut my braids. And eventually braids became the style. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not that person that worries much about um, others. Um, it, I'm very comfortable and I, won't, mm. I don't use the word confident. I'm just saying the word comfortable in what I'm doing. What do you think is the difference between comfortable and confident? Like, what's that line? I think comfortable is more like at ease. Mm-hmm. And confident, you actually are not at ease. You're putting on a strength. Mm-hmm. Right? It's like you have to pump up for that. Mm-hmm. Comfortable, you could just fall asleep on a roller coaster. And do you feel like you being comfortable with yourself in that way has played an impact on your like do you feel like you had that as a kid or as a or when you were starting in your career do you feel like that's something you've grown into with time I think that I've had it as a child but I know I I have become uncomfortable there are periods where you felt uncomfortable yeah I I, I've had my moments or my years of uncomfortable uncomfortableness it just never lasts long what were they like can you give an example let me give an example of me being uncomfortable Okay, here's a small example, a uh, very short moment in life. My first time at the Cannes Film Festival. So it's a black tie affair, and you have to wear a black tie. And this is 1999. Once again, I'm, I'm known for my fatigues and my Brave. hip-hop. And I went there with uh, Jim Jamush and Fars Whitaker, and it was Ghost Dog, and Jim wanted me to walk the red carpet with him. And uh, all right, cool. You know, I I didn't have a tuxedo. I went and rented one. <laughs> you know what I mean? Wow. Yeah, I had to get something. That was that was the attire, and I get on the red carpet, and that's my first red carpet. And I don't know. You gotta walk, stop pictures, and I stop don't know, and repeat. I don't notice nothing. I'm just like I'm just <laughs> like a t- I'm tap dancing. By the time it's like I'm doing the the potato or something. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. It felt funny, felt awkward. And uh, yeah, and for that moment, until I got into my seat, I was uncomfortable. So that's a, that's a small example. And I'll give you one more, which is a, which a, that's actually an enlightening example for me. And Jim Jarmusch is attached to this one also. So now Jim does the movie Coffee and Cigarettes. And he has me in the scene and he invites me out to San Francisco for the premiere. And now I've know how to I know how to walk a red carpet now. I've done Kill Bill and I've done it a few times now. So I know the formula. Mm-hmm. But what I've never had done was I never seen myself on a 70 foot screen before. 
on like a movie screen. Never yeah. seen myself on that before. Mm-hmm. That's intense. With a whole audience of people. After about, I don't know how many minutes we were into the into the into the um, movie, coffee and cigarettes. But you know, it was a pretty. It was kind of quiet a lot in that movie. I couldn't it's read not, the audience. They weren't laughing or crying. Or yeah, anything. it was. Yeah. You know, it was just. It was a lot of intriguing things happening, maybe. And then here I come on the screen with Jizza and Bill Murray, and I just melted in my seat. <laughs> I kind of like did the Bugs Bunny when he slides down out of his seat. I melted in my seat. And uh, and I probably was hunched under my seat for about three minutes. <laughs> and, and and then soon, people was laughing at, at me, like laughing at whatever mm-hmm. I was saying. And they was laughing more and laughing more. And I kind of started growing back in my seat. Mm-hmm. And by the time that, maybe it was about a seven or eight minute scene, by the time the scene was over, I was like erect. I felt confident. <laughs> yeah, I went from uncomfortable to confident. To confidence. Yeah. Is it something that plagues you? Like, do you question yourself? Like, why did I get uncomfortable? Or, or like, how how did did you? Was it something that you felt like you had to work through to like not have those moments anymore? If there's anything that I still do that has a level of uncomfortability, mm-hmm. I think it still is the red carpets. The aquarium effect. It is. It's like an aquarium effect where you become the You're fish. You're the fish. Yeah. yeah. But what is it about, What do you, can you explain? I mean, I understand intuitively why you would feel that way about being on a red carpet and being a fish, but can you explain more about like what it is about that that doesn't sit well with you and that doesn't feel like aligned with who you are? I don't know if I have the answer to that question, Lily, but I could say that um, I'm very capable of getting on the stage with 30,000 people in the audience, right? Mm-hmm. right? And performing my art and my music I think the people who are on the other side of that carpet with their cameras, they have a judgmental mm-hmm. view of... I wonder if it I, is very judgmental and critical, like the fashion, like they're all like... And also I feel like it's like kind of objectifying. When you're on stage, it's people are like hearing you express your art and it's like you're connecting. But when you're a fish in the aquarium of the red carpet, you're kind of just an object for... yeah. And the funnier thing about it is that at least when I'm on stage, I know they came to see me. Mm-hmm. It's just like, okay, so I'm the composer, right, of, of Kill Bill. So if I get to the red carpet at 6 o'clock and I'm walking down the carpet, and you got to keep doing this, mm-hmm. you know, dance, dance, right? Now let's say Quentin gets out. Man, the cameras leave you <laughs> and they run over there, right? Mm-hmm. So now you just been, for one minute, you thought you was important. Mm-hmm. But hold on, you're nothing, buddy. We over here, this is important to us mm-hmm. now. Um, mm-hmm. So even that type of dynamic is mm-hmm. a very Toxic. awkward mm-hmm. uh, feeling. Um, now, like I said, that will last 15 minutes on me. Right. Because at the end of the day, I could care two cent less if you ever take a picture of me. I mean, I'm in it. F- <laughs> I mean, I think I'm in this for the expression that was built in me. Mm-hmm. You know, after everything that I've done in my life, right, and the moments of proudness that I felt for my mom to, you know, being able to provide for my family economically, um, now it's more for me, like, to know that what I'm doing. Right, each footprint that I'm putting down 
is leaving a footprint for someone else to, mm-hmm. to walk that path. Mm-hmm. So it's more for me like um, the person who thought, the person who they said couldn't do it, the person who they say can't make it, the person who they say, oh, that's, n- that's not the style. That's not what's in, right? Oh, you wearing braids? Well, everybody else is wearing blonde bald. You don't belong here. Mm-hmm. Oh, you want to wear, you know, I put on a, I started, so my style changed, right? So eventually, I think about maybe five or six years ago, uh, I don't know, I just wanted to feel, a, I just started feeling more adult. And mm-hmm. you start seeing me wear these button-up shirts and putting on nice clothes and suits and things. And I went through a phase of that. Uh, and right around uh, the beginning of Donald Trump president, presidency, doing the campaign, uh, I did an interview with uh, John Hellerman. And I, um, you know, I had my suit on. You know, I was catching a flight that day. I don't like going on the first, at this time. Now, I've actually changed since then. But at this particular year, I didn't like flying first class without having on a blazer or a suit. I just felt up as a businessman now. I'm doing business. I'm not no little kid. I'm walking to these counters. I'm walking there. I'm a grown man. And this is my energy. Right. And I thought that, uh, you know, hip-hop, had to find a way to grow up. And I felt that I felt it and I was living it. But anyway, um, I said something about, you know, the attire of young men. And, you know, it was something came up about police harassment and Black Lives Matter. And of course, Black Lives Matter. And we all know that. Um, And when people say all lives matter, people get upset about that. Um, But that's a fact as well. Mm -hmm. But what I said in that statement um, was that if we as a community, right, could change the image of how the public perceive us, then maybe that could help change the dynamic of the treatment we're receiving from the police brutality, et cetera. Now, of course, we know Dr. King wore a suit and still got shot. You know, Malcolm X wore a suit and still got shot. So I'm not taking away from mm-hmm. the... Systemic racism. Yeah, or, or the evil that somebody's going to perpetrate. But when you see, you know, when the, when the rest of the world sees it, it affects them differently. So when Martin Luther King was trying to deal with uh, nonviolent movement, it moved the people because now we all looking at the aggressor being the aggressor, right? But if that same aggressor is beating on a bunch of guys with hoods, a bunch of guys who look like they're gangsters and, and you know, back when it was Bloods and Crips, oh, they all got these Crips in red and they got these rags on their head, it makes the rest of the, of the world look at it as like they deserve it. You know what I mean? Nobody cares for us. The middle country don't care. The adults don't care for the kids. You know, we'll say, oh, look at that kid walking with his pants sagging. Right? Now, that don't make him a bad kid. Mm -mm. That's his style. Right. But at the same time, if if, if his style is what's being targeted with aggression, 
he should have the common knowledge to figure that out. Like, okay, you know what? I'll wear that when I'm headed this way, but I can't wear that when I'm headed that way. I mean, this is so interesting and fascinating because like the super rebel in me is like, fuck that. Like people should be able to, you know, like do it, whatever they want to do and that, and, and people should respect people for exactly what that is, no matter what. And I'm not saying compromise, right? We was at a time and space during the, during the period I was talking about before um, Trump became president. You know, mm-hmm. we was at a very touchy space there. Man. We, you know, they, 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 they shot Trayvon Martin for nothing. Mm-hmm. And he just had a hood on. Mm-hmm. But the guy got away, right? Not only because Trayvon was black, right? But also because he fit a stereotype. And so since the stereotype was there, half the, half the people was already gone. When a person, when we recognize where we are in space and time, we have to have enough knowledge and wisdom to say, okay, I got to kind of change that dynamic for a moment, okay? So, so for me, um, and this is beyond clothing, this is beyond, uh, you know, where you talk, whatever, it's beyond that. It's actually into the psyche of yourself to know that, yeah, okay, I see where all my other brothers went wrong at. Okay, let me see if I could change the dynamic and start some of my brothers going right. Dr. King, he died for that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He saw where everybody was going wrong. And he didn't do, he was nonviolent, and yet he had a violent death. But the resonation of his words, the resonation mm-hmm of what he said and what he'd done. So powerful. Changed, it changed the world. Changed the world forever. Thank you again to Oli Biologique for sponsoring this episode. Oli's multitasking daily essential facial oils are pure, potent, and purposeful, bursting with plant and seed-based botanicals in every golden drop. Certified vegan, cruelty-free, and without any parabens or synthetics, Oli delivers the nutrients your skin craves fast. Oli's products are all sustainably sourced, cold-pressed, gluten-free, and non-GMO using whole plant ingredients. Save 20% with the code STYLELIKEU20 at Amazon.com slash That's Amazon.com slash with STYLELIKEU20 for 20% off your order. I had a lyric that said, uh, um, I don't wear no suit and tie. I'm also, yeah, I said, I'm also militant. Don't wear no suit and tie. You know what I mean? Um... I said, call me, call me RZA, call me that cousin. Never liked the name I received from my father. I didn't even like my name, Robert F. Diggs. Right? We call that a slave name. You Why know is that? I mean? Because for the black man, these names are given to us by slave masters. Right? You know, they held us as piece of property, and they named us. That's Mr. Diggs' property. That's Mr. Johnson's property. That's that. And we became propertized. So when we got knowledge of ourselves, we wanted to remove that we're owned by anybody, right? So in that capacity, yeah, that makes sense. But my mother wasn't born no slave, not physically. And she chose the name Robert, and she chose the name Fitzgerald because she was a big fan of Robert Robert Kennedy and John F. Kennedy. And she thought that those two men represented something that was special in her life during her teenage years. 
going through her change and mm-hmm. seeing them speak up about equality and the things that they put into this world. And she named her son after that. Mm. So that's an honorable name. Robert is an honorable name. Mm-hmm. That's the name that she chose to put upon me. But during my youth, of course, I thought, you know, don't call me that. I even told her not to call me that. And you know what? You resented being named after? Two white guys? Yeah. I was laughed at by my cousins. You know what I mean? They had middle names like, like Russell. Uh, ODB's middle name is Tyrone. <laughs> that sounds cool in the, in the black community. Yo, what's your middle name? Tyrone. What's your middle name? Fix y'all. <laughs> <laughs> See, <laughs> look, you can make a laugh at that, right? <laughs> so, but when I, I know it looks good on checks now, though. Right? People see that on a the check, they know they could catch that motherfucker. They be like, wait a minute, Robert Fix Joe. He sound wealthy. <laughs> but um, no, but the point being made is that it, it was something that she meditated on, something that she gave me, and it's honorable. And so in my older years, I have that respect of it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I don't mind if somebody calls me Bobby. You know, even though I know that, that I am the RZA, that stands for Rakim Zig Zag Ziggalaw. That's something that I evolved, studied, and became and accepted. But what does it mean exactly? Well, and when did you adapt it? When did you get that name? I got that name, uh, that complete name in 1992. Um, I had the name Rakim uh, years earlier. Uh, Rakim, uh, I kind of made it up out of my head. Um, then when I researched it, uh, it, it, you know, it means to be original. If you go for the root word of it, Akim. And if you look for it in the Holy Quran, it only, it says the like, it, it could be synonymous with something of loyalty, you know? Um, but I took it as Ra, you know, Ra being that, you know, like Amin Ra. He was like the high God, you know, the high light. You know, he was a person, but mm-hmm. he was a king, and he, he was so much of a king, and he changed mathematics and culture so much that they worshipped him. Uh, and Kim, I always thought that Kim... Uh, through my alphabets, the K is for king, right? And the E is for equality. But there's two types of equality. Mm-hmm. There's a good equality and there's a bad equality. And so I put both E's in my name, then I put an M at the end. And that M stood for master, which means I better master both of these equalities. I better master my good side and my bad side. I mean, in order for me to be who I should fully be. And that's what I got Rakim from and then zigzag zig is from the letter Z and it what happened was I realized I was going in the right direction maybe you know maybe from the age of 13 14 15 16 you know me and ODB we was vegans like when we were 16 years old we wow. wouldn't drink milk we wouldn't even eat potato chips you know what I mean then we I guess you know start having sex and smoking weed and <laughs> throw that out the door and started getting into what everybody else got into which was you know violence, street crime, and all the things that our community had to offer, the opportunities that we had to offer. Uh, and I zagged. I was going the wrong direction. But then I got blessed uh, with a second chance and a stern, stern word for my mom. 
and I zig back to the right direction. I'm still curious about your journey over the years with like that line between confidence and or maybe you said earlier that you had like a God at one moment, a God complex being a black millionaire. One thing I could say is that when you first get success, you think you're the only one with it. Mm-hmm. You know, when you first become, you know, when you make it to number one, the number one album in the country, the number one producer. What was that like? Oh, it's, 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 it's every stimulation that it's supposed to be. You just feel great. You feel like, I know how Mike Tyson felt with the belt, you know what I mean? You know, I know how, how you know, you, I know how, look, I know how Kanye felt when he became the number one artist. I know how Jay-Z felt when he became the number one artist. I know how DMX felt when he became the number one artist. I know the feeling. Right? Can you describe Can it? Can you describe it for those of us that don't know? No, <laughs> it's, it's like you're breaking. You know, you know Leonard. Did you know Leonard Cohen? I love Leonard Cohen. Yeah, it's like <laughs> it's like that line about um, the crack, and that's how the light gets in. Yeah, it's like almost. And like you a, go through. It's like a new birth almost. You feel like you are the anointed one. You know, you are the one that was personally chosen by God to do. Mm-hmm what you're doing, not just for yourself, not just for your family, not just for your community, not just for your country, but for the world. And that's a big, big feeling. And you know what? You might be right at that moment in time. Mm -hmm. But what happens when the next one comes and now it's his turn? Where do you go? And so what? And how's that what was that journey for you? Well, the be- well for me, I didn't come off of that high until my mom's passed away. Mm-hmm. So maybe I wouldn't have never came off. I don't know. How long? How far into your success was that? She 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 passed away in the year two thousand. So you know, I was the man to my. You know, I felt like you know, you couldn't tell me nothing. You know? <laughs> how many years in were you into the success of Wu Tang? When she died. Our first year, we went platinum in 93. So many years. She, she yes. witnessed many oh, she, years. Oh, she witnessed it. Yeah, she witnessed it. That was my grounding moment. But I think everybody's going to have a grounding moment. Right. You know? And I think the challenge of it now is how do you, after being the world champion, how do you live when somebody else has the title? I know for a fact there's only one RZA, y'all. I know that the way I did it, the way I do it, the way I sound, the way I talk, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? The way I put that hat on, you know, that's the way the RZA does it, y'all. And I'm cool with that. And I'm cool with the fans that loved it. I'm cool with the fans that don't like it anymore. I'm cool with the people that moved on. And I'm also confident and comfortable knowing that, you know what? Ah, I'm going to do this. Which is, you know, as an artist, I've learned to gravitate to more ways of art. Exactly. You've done that a lot. Yeah. But was there a moment, just like if if you could be specific, because I think it would help people, because I also think that so many people don't, you know, look up to like money and fame and success as like what they, you know, are aspiring towards only without necessarily like the substance behind it that like you have and that like Mm -hmm. really talented artists have. Like, 
Can you talk Mm -hmm. about in more detail how maybe a moment where you felt, oh, fuck, am I losing that thing? Am I and and then how you really like came back into yourself? And what is that thing? So how can I say this? Because I never did it for money. Money wasn't to my music and hip hop. Money wasn't my motivation. mm -hmm. Nah, that was not my motivation. And that's I mean, I was probably I mean, I was a millionaire in 1995 and. I just suddenly come out. I didn't even buy new shoes. Mm-hmm. I didn't come outside till 1998. Mm. You know what I mean? So, so that's what were you doing when you say you weren't doing it for the money? What were you doing it for? I was doing it. I was, I was, I was at war with society thought and what hip hop thought was hip hop. I was at war with the mentality of the people. I was at war with the propaganda that was kind of propagated on me and my community, you know what I mean? That, you know, we're supposed to be dead or in jail at 25. Okay, how about I be a millionaire at 25? How about I do that? How about this same high school dropout, right, who you write off with these same group of felons that will never get a job, succeed, and and now their kids are high school graduates and college participants. How about that? How about we do that? How about we change the dynamic of that? So there was a different type of a attack, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, for me. So you never really lost yourself in the money or in the, like, mm-hmm. it sounds no, like I you didn't never lose myself lost in the money, center. but I did lose myself in the God complex. So that's two mm-hmm. different things. Mm-hmm. I lost myself in the God complex, and that's what, so let's talk about that a little yeah. bit. Yeah. I felt like, yo, I'm the anointed Christ. This is the one who's been sent back mm-hmm. to help this world, right? And maybe at that moment in time, for that group of people and for that family, that's what I was. I actually, I actually think that, because I love Jesus, I just want to say that out loud. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, and I think what he said was so profound. He said, in the days later, people will be able to do what I do and more. And mm-hmm. they say Christ is a consciousness, right? And so I actually think that every man or and woman, you know, man, woman, child, mm-hmm. all have the ability to achieve that. Mm-hmm. And maybe you will achieve it for your family. You don't have to achieve it for my family. Mm-hmm. You don't have to achieve it for my country. And I think that in every family, somebody does achieve it. And when I look at Wu Tang, okay, they go Ghostface and his family. They go Method Man and his family. They go Raekwon and his family. They go ODB and his. And here they are. Mm-hmm. And then they all and they each one are celebrated figures, and each one are, was looked upon by their family as that light. Mm-hmm. When you start taking it that this is beyond your circle and it belongs to the world, um, it's a different feeling. And when and then and then when you if you never realize that it's for your universe and not the universe, mm-hmm. if you don't realize that it's, it's morbid. And I think at a point in my life I was morbid, and it was right when my mom passed. It was like I you know I have the physical, mental, spiritual audacity, and I'm not shy to say this. <laughs> that I could bring her back to life. How about that? Mm. Let me do that one. Let me try that. But guess what? That ain't working. Okay, then why isn't it working? Why can't it work? It worked for him. 
why it's not working for me. So that, rele that revelation of life right there, and my heart just jumped when I said that, because that's how, you know, I, I'm not gonna break into tears or nothing. But um, <laughs> that's a revelation. That's what it took. Now that's what it took me. That's what it took me. Well, you got, we all get exactly the lessons we need. Yeah, I needed, that's what they <laughs> Brought you down to earth. They was like, this, this he ain't going no, he ain't coming back to earth. <laughs> you, were, we you, were getting the you were getting exactly the lesson that the anointed lesson that you were getting the lesson you are anointed i guess we all are in certain and all are in different ways and 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 we get exactly what we need and we can either learn from it or we can stay morbid you know we we can either evolve from yeah. that lesson but like what what how would you describe that consciousness that's not the morbid consciousness where you're in your flow and you're in your you know in the power i think it's undescribable you only know it. It's like a wave. You only know it when you're on it. Mm. You know, it's a frequency. Mm -hmm. If you're not in tune to it, then you're not going to hit the note. So I won't, you know, verbally, I don't know who really described it verbally. Even the, you know, even all the great prophets, the great masters, the great, you know, saints, everybody, you know, scientists, you know, none of them has fully had the word for that you know love well love was the best word used so far mm. to be honest and mm -hmm. that's what jesus said out of all these things the greatest thing is love mm -hmm. that's the best best and that is a strong word but then now describe that <laughs> right <laughs> so um you know what's crazy? Uh, we're having fun here. You told, you told me I was, you told me I was gonna have fun. So. Mm -hmm. I told you you're gonna have fun. Yeah. You know what's crazy? <laughs> right? You know, there's so many stories we we learn. You know, from the Bible, the Holy Quran, the Bhagavad Gita, uh, the books of Buddha. You know, we could turn to so many different great men that left us great wisdom. But staying on the Jesus vibe. Um, even he had the nail go through his hand. You know what I mean? Think about that. I do sometimes. You know? Mm -hmm. So here is the anointed one. Here is the man of Talk all men. Talk about a lesson, right? Yeah, and even he gets a nail through his hand. Wow. So, you know, Moses did all that work, and he said, you can't see the promised land. You know? So all these things is, you know, these, and that's for us to know, right? Those are metaphors for us to see, revelations for us to understand. And when I watch some of my, my uh, well, I look at the predece my predecessors and I look at my protégés and I look at the, the generation now, you know, I smile and enjoy, but at the same time, I laugh a little. And I'm like, well, brother, <laughs> you know, enjoy it. You know, you don't know that there's a stop sign Five miles up, brother. But keep going, and when you get there, then you'll see. I don't want to spoil it for you. At which time do you think you were happier, like after the stop sign or before the stop sign? I'm happy, happy now. So <laughs> I think the beauty of it and the, and the, the challenge of it is to never lose your happiness, mm -hmm. never lose your love. You know, e even if you let go, right, 
you ever look at something like like even if there's like a small break in it or or like the hourglass you know this it's a point where the sand gets thin but it's still coming like you know never try not to totally disconnect mm -hmm. that's what that's what i would advise anybody and i could say that from the source from what yeah from the source from the reality of yourself from you know if you could find yourself because some people can't find themselves uh if we go back a few feet uh in our conversation we're talking about you know the black lives matter and the suits and all that the the one point that i was striving to make by talking about that was like as people and i'm talking for americans right and especially for the black men in america we don't even know ourselves a lot of our expression is from something else it's been handed to you yeah you know what i mean so you know, we don't know, yo, is my natural hair dreaded? Is my natural hair braided? Am I naturally bald? Am I, what am I naturally, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And then the same thing go for the rest of Americans now, right? We don't actually, it's, it's so almogated, right, of many cultures and many things put together that, you know, you don't really actually have a total definition. Uh, but there is one. And that definition is the one of your, the self-definition. And once you have a self-definition, which, which I feel I have, mm -hmm. I could put on anything. Mm -hmm. America is such a like melting pot and we are so amalga amalgamated and so merged in our identities. It is important to understand your identity, but I think your point's really great in that, and I think people are searching for this, is that where are you going to find it? Like you're going to find it in quietly. Yeah. And if, if there's a common denominator... I would say God, you know, and right. I know we have many, you know, you know, he's been given many names over the years. I honestly say Allah. I'm very comfortable saying because mm -hmm. I get my breath in that, right? And I think that's the common denominator. Some old mm -hmm. brother, an old brother, <laughs> an old, I'm a fan of uh, the Delphonics. Uh, they made songs like la, 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 la. Mm -hmm. I love that song. I love mm -hmm. you. So he came to visit me a few months ago. He had a whole bunch of old songs I love that he wanted song. to bring That's over to me. Song. He said this to me though. You know, he's you know, talking. He's an older man, so uh, and, I'm, and I'm a fan of his, so I could be enamored by him. And he said, "Brother, you know what? You know what God is, brother." He said God said he's going to pit himself somewhere that we're going to never know he's there, and we're going to always need him, and and we're going to always have them. I was like, yeah, yeah, where? Air, brother, the air. Mm. I was like, whoa. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you can't go in a couple of minutes without that. Whoa. Right. I could see that. And that's actually what's really going to change <laughs> the world is the understanding of that. Like that is what, that's yeah. the bottom line. What do you think is the biggest risk you've ever taken? Biggest risk? Uh, Leaving New York City and moving to California, walking away from about $40, $50 million worth of business. What was that? Can you tell us what that was? Yeah, I dissipated Wu-Tang Clan, Wu-Tang Production. Not dissipated. That was the wrong word. <laughs> Disintegrated? Dis yes. You disconnected? Disconnected. Dis yeah. I, 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 Disbanded? Disbanded. Disassociated. Right? Okay. Yeah, 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 I know. So many. Disconnected. Dis <laughs> you dissed. You <laughs> dissed. Distanced. <laughs> right? yeah, so many. Distanced. 
But no, but bottom line was uh, everybody wanted, um, you know, they wanted release from their contracts and they wanted to go and start their own careers and move forward. And at the time, this is the peak of it all. This is like, this is, it would have been the the payday of it all in all reality. And uh, this was like this how is long same, ago? This is all the same year. This the one, same this, year this, of this, your mom. Yeah, this, this is the year, <laughs> y'all. This 2000? is like, Three, you, know, you know what's so crazy? You know, people always say that uh, before that, right? Really, you, you know, and your, and your pops could tell you this. He'd say, "My land in Ohio." He came down and he saw it, right? I was preparing for the year two thousand. I was physically preparing. I had maybe fifty grand worth of dry food stored. Oh. Hundred acres of land. Built cabins. You could fit at least about fifty people could live there. You know what I mean? Buy a lake so there's water. <laughs> and I was preparing, you know, because I'm one of them, I, I thought maybe, mm-hmm. you know, hey. You can take us with you. Huh? <laughs> well, at that time, I thought maybe this is going to happen. Right. And I'm not going to be caught with my pants down. Right. Okay? I'm thinking ahead. <laughs> at the same time, I built another studio in Manhattan. <laughs> so um, if not, I got that. And I also got, if not, I'll keep it going. Mm-hmm. Funny thing happens is 2000 does come and our world is the same <laughs> but not my world mm. my world upside is down upside down is changed is y2k y2k was personal mm-hmm. and so anyway so after mom yeah i the big risk i took the big risk was to walk away from all that come to california and try to build from there. And why? Why did you do that? That was was it? Why California? And and why did was that important to you at that time to make was, that decision? It was, my, it was my second try for California. So in '97, I had a personal problem. I won't talk about that too much, but I had a personal problem in '97, and I just said I'm, a, I'm I just flew to Cali and I had a couple of chicks out here. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I kind of just, you know, I was mm-hmm. rich, right? And I just kind of Beverly Hills my life for a while, right? And it was fun. It was joyful. It was. It felt free. Uh, but then I went back to reality, right? And so this time, though, it was, uh, you know, this particular time to come to California. It wasn't. It was. Took. It took some time from to, like from the two thousand. It took a couple of years. Of this, you know, signing everybody back and going through the legal process, I had lawsuits, going through everything I did, and and then finally being like, it's all gone. It's really intense. Now, what I'm gonna do? And I came out to California, took a risk. Uh, my brother Devon was, you know, was very upset with me. He was like, "Yo, fuck all that movie shit." You know what I mean? You're a musician. This, you, you know, you're supposed to be here. Just come on, let's make some more music. Let's just. And I was like, nah, man, no. You didn't want to make, you just didn't, it was like your heart wanted to be in making a different form of art. Yeah, my heart was somewhere else. And I took a risk on that. And you know what happened? It worked. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But that was a big risk, Mm y'all. When's the last time you cried? Hmm. Last time I cried, it's been a couple of years. Uh couple of years ago so I'm pretty good at not crying now 
Yeah. <laughs> you don't like You're not crying? a crier. Um, I became a crier. Hey, after my mom's passed, I cried at uh, Disney Animations made me cry at first. It was the funniest thing. I was looking at uh, anything. Like, but, uh, when, but for animation make you cry, you know you have soft marshmallowed up, right? And so after my mom's passed, I became that guy. You know, weirdly uncontrollable emotions, just watching something and you know, it could be the the, the, the the last dinosaurs when the dinosaur got lost. <laughs> Woman's parents. Bambi. <laughs> oh, Bambi would tear me up. <laughs> Bambi, my graces. Um, but then, of course, I recovered. But then ODB passed. And I held it in. And then it came out a couple of years later, crazy. My wife just, you know, she just couldn't believe she was waiting for it, though. Um, and then came maybe, out in tears or in oh, other emotions. Oh man, it came out in tears. It oh. came out like lament, lamentation is the mm. word. <laughs> you ever heard that? That's like the biblical cry. Um, and then, um, and then every once in a while, yo, every once in a while, I could look at it all, and I could look and see that Asan is not here, Mom is not here. And, you know, a few good people, you know, that's beautiful people that's not here with this and not even here to come and, like, hear me play my piano. You know what I mean? Like, look, I could actually, I don't have to sample it. I could play it now. You know, I could play the guitar. Mm-hmm. I could do it now, man. Look. Oh, I could do it. Even a song, you know. Um, you know, so, so the, you know, I think it's healthy to cry. So I don't mind sharing that. I think that it's a strong form of meditation, uh, tears and lamentation. Uh, you know, I study Buddhism, and you know, I've, I'm a Shaolin disciple. And there's 18 low hands uh, and 18 different faces of Buddha. And there's a laughing Buddha. There's a fat Buddha. So it's okay if you gain weight. Okay. There's a sleeping Buddha. Right. There's a Buddha who slept his way to enlightenment. Uh, and there's a weeping Buddha, you know? So, drink, drunk Buddha. All these ways and uh, different ways that you could make it to that point of awareness. They call it Chan. Japanese call it Zen. Mm. But when you reach it, the trick is to never let it go. Don't wake up the next day and forget it. So that's what Buddha means about this getting on this wheel of life and death. He says you have to get off the wheel. So you're not reincarnated as a cow, fish, bird. And he may not mean that you're going to be a literal cow or a literal fish. It's your mentality. It's your spirit. It's the way you are. I say that crying is healthy. That's what I was getting to by saying mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. When do you feel the most vulnerable? The most vulnerable, I think we all are, is in the shower when soap is in your eyes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Isn't that the most vulnerable moment, though? That wouldn't be what I'm one I think. <laughs> I know, I know. I feel but, vulnerable all the time. Mm-hmm. But, isn't that, but that's when, like, anything can happen. Soap is in your eye, you're in the shower, mm-hmm. the floor that's is wet. Answer. What's going to happen to you? 
No, I, I had to slip the little joke in on you. No, I got it. Um, <laughs> I, can, I, can, I, I get jokes sometimes. <laughs> but vulnerability, I mean, what makes us the most vulnerable besides our loved ones? What makes you? Oh, yeah. Or a loved one. Yeah, I saying, so it's the same for us. So I'm the same. True. You know what I mean? You know, you don't want nothing happening to those who you love. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your definition of freedom? Mm, freedom. I think freedom is to be free, is to free your dome. I'll take that word. Free and dome. Your dome must be free. Your mind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And once you get that freedom, I think you're able to achieve every other freedom. I said, so since we were born in a place that freedom has been captured from people, right? You know, mm-hmm. uh, physical freedom, spiritual freedom, uh, economic freedom. All these words that go in front of freedom has been stripped and captured from people that it, that it takes so many other layers to get back to freedom. But I would advise anyone first to free your dome first. Totally. And then you could gain all the other freedoms. Totally. Mm-hmm. That's so good. And last question. Last question. What does self-acceptance mean to you? Wow. It means truth. You must accept yourself. You know, there's a guy that we uh, casted in our TV show. Um, so Ghostface, if you ever see the Wu-Tang documentary, you'll hear Ghostface talk about his family. And he has two brothers who were friends of mine, and they both had muscular dystrophy and they was wheelchair bound. Um, And so as we are recreating this world, we have to find two guys like this. And so now we have to cast. For the TV show. For the TV show, we casting some guys. One guy who we cast uh, is really that person. He's muscular dystrophy, wheelchair bound, and they didn't want to give him any lines. You know, he wasn't really sure. Uh, but when he did his audition, he was so sure and so confident about himself. He was in, in his audition. He didn't, there was no words for him. There was no lines. His audition was, I'm the guy for this job. I fit the description of the character. I'm wheelchair bound. I have a brother. And I'm, I'm born to be an actor. Something to that effect. And I just said, I like this guy. And he went through, it took a long time because you got to get approval and all this. And we finally get him. And he's on set and he has no lines. But something happened whereas the other actor time was up and we didn't get what we needed and there was lines that had to happen in order to make our day we had to maybe give the lines to the other guy to the guy who don't have lines and we did it and he rocked it and the moral of this is he had already accepted himself in a wheelchair 
who's going to be there for the rest of his life and with a dream to be an actor. And he is for real. And, when he, and every time he spoke, the whole set lit up mm-hmm. as if Arnold from different strokes was speaking or something. He had that kind of effect. That was, Owned it. Yeah. And everybody was like, yo, I think we've just discovered like a, some type of star here. So self-acceptance is truth, pure, and mandatory. Don't worry about no discrimination against you. They can't discriminate you. They can't even, we can't exist without you. Mm-hmm. Don't fall for it, right? Discrimination against black, don't fall for it. So many civilizations are modeled after our civilizations. Mm-hmm. The beautiful things that we all are, are. And self-acceptance is, 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 is primary. Just like we said, free your dome. Mm-hmm. If, you don't accept, if you don't accept yourself, you're definitely not free. Mm-hmm. That's good. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Amazing. Thank you. That was Thank so, you so amazing. Much. Thank you, girls. That was so amazing. <laughs> a final thank you to Oli Biologique for sponsoring this episode of What's Underneath. With the idea that we need to celebrate, not fix our natural selves, Oli's skincare products aim to get your skin glowing with no filters and no extraneous hype. You can keep up with Oli via Instagram at Oli Organic Oils and learn more at olibiologique.com. And save 20% with the code STYLELIKEU20 at amazon.com slash olibiologique. That's amazon.com slash olibiologique with STYLELIKEU20 for 20% off your order. That link will also be in the show information. We hope you were inspired by this episode. Until next week, that's it from me, Elisa. And me, Lily. If you agree that facades separate us and being radically honest brings us together, help spread the movement for radical self-acceptance by sharing this episode, subscribing to our podcast, and joining us on Patreon. Head over to patreon.com slash you to support our work and help us build a world where everyone feels comfortable and safe in their own skin. And if you fall in love with each of our guests as much as we do, you can see them in their full self-expression by subscribing to our YouTube channel and following us on Instagram and Facebook using the handle at style like you. That's the letter U instead of the word U. And check out our book, True Style is What's Underneath, The Self-Acceptance Revolution on Amazon or at a local bookstore near you. We can't skip ahead to a happy ending or live inside a photoshopped image or an Instagram filter. There is no finding oneself when glossing over the truth. 